All right, Tom, another question from Channel 79 on the LCS and a reset. LCS being the larger consciousness system. If you develop two realities from blank with the exact same initial conditions and you execute them at the same time, Will they then evolve in the exact same way? Based on my limited experience with cellular automata, it appears that running identical patterns with identical simple rule sets produces identical evolution of those patterns. But that may not be compared to the real deal. As a follow-up on that thought, I have these questions. And the first one is... Well, let's do that thought before we uh, follow up. (laughs) It doesn't work that way here because, one, we have free will, and, two, there's lots of things that, that are chance. There's random things going on. So if you, had a, if you had two realities in a cellular automata where there is no free will choice and where the, uh, there are no uh, random components, everything is algorithmic. Right? All the decisions are made by algorithm. Then you're going to get two identical results. But this is not all done by algorithm. We have free will. We get to make choices that sometimes don't make any sense. We get to break the rules if, you know, if we can sometimes. And we have things that are just random. Things happen randomly. Like when an egg and a sperm get together, what comes out of that? There's a lot of random choices going on. There's literally hundreds of billions of possibilities and only one set is what's born. You see, out of all those hundreds of billions of possibilities, just one set of those is what's born. There's lots of random choices of what happens to connect with which way, which genes get turned on, you know, which, which, uh, you know, what mixes with what, how has a lot of randomness to it. So in that kind of a, of a world where there are random things that go on, then uh, you're going to end up with two different realities that start to diverge the minute that, that you turn them on. And eventually they will be further and further and further apart. And some of that randomness isn't really random. It just seems random because there's so many so many variables that you get lost. The, the, the causal chain gets lost, so it seems random. You, know, you uh, walk into a grocery store, you pick up a grocery cart, and you push it around, you buy your groceries, and you go home, and five days later, you end up with a you know a virus. Well, guess what? There was a little kid sitting on that grocery cart, you know, and had his hands and his mouth all over that handles just two minutes before you picked it up and pushed it through the grocery cart. Well, that's not truly random, but that's what I mean. I call that like social Brownian motion. It's the causal chains are so diverse, and things just happen. And you weren't planning on going to the store that day, and neither were they. And they just stopped, and then you just stopped afterwards. And there's all sorts of choices that come out to be pretty random when you look at the whole thing. And there it is, you get sick. Well, it's not like, you know, the system made you sick because it was your turn to be sick. It just happened because of the rule set. Your rule set is biology. You happened to get exposed to something that was contagious. Your immune system happened to be low because you were stressed. You got sick. See, any of those things could have been different. Your immune system could have been better. You could have picked a different cart. You know, you could have not gone home and not stopped at the store. But all those things just happen, and there you are. So we got a lot of things in our environment that just happen because they happen, because there's so many of us interacting with so many other people that uh, there's no way to, to 
to uh, describe all of that in in uh, algorithmic terms. It's just probabilistic. And in that case, whenever you have probability, you've got different things happening. So in a real world like ours, the two will diverge and continue to diverge more and more and more as time goes on. All right, now, what, so was, Tom, what were the questions? <laughs> well, from what you've just said, his first question, I think you have probably answered. If the LCS, or all it is, was to have a complete reset and start over, can we know if it would evolve in the exact same way again, or if it would evolve differently despite the identical initiation? It evolved differently. So if we started over with another Big Bang in this universe and just let it all fall out and see how it came together, well, we wouldn't have all exactly the same stars in the same places or any of that because there's a lot of random things going on. This is a probabilistic simulation, not a deterministic simulation. I mean, the, the rule set is probably, you know, 90% deterministic. That's the rule set. But there's enough probability in there, you know, like a, like a random decay. You know, there's enough probability in there that uh, it, it uh, changes things. Things will change with time. So, no, if we started all over again, this everything would be different. Now, it might be similar because under the same rule set, similar things would happen. But, you know, whether we had, you know, you know, two eyes on either side of our head, you know, uh, instead of, uh, you know, the two in the front, you know, we could have maybe four eyes, you know, two here and two here. You know, that may be the way we come out because that was the chance. Maybe that would evolve that way. You know, who knows? Lots of things would be possible, just like that, that sperm and that egg. Lots of possibilities, but only one of them is the one that finally makes it. And evolution is like that. A lot of random process makes something different. What do we call that? Um, I don't know. The word escapes me. But in evolution, you have things that just happen randomly. And when they do, if they make the, the system that it happens to more survivable, then that will go on. If they happen to make the thing it happens to less survivable, it will eventually get probably thrown away. It will get damped out. So it was just a random event that started that possibility. Yeah, now the physics helps too. You know, you're not going to have, uh, you know, a whole lot of three-legged critters, you know, because it's more symmetry has certain advantages in, in uh, you know, mobility and energy, can, energy uh, uh, conservation. You can, move, you can move with less energy if you have symmetric oars in the in the water you know not just all the oars on one side so there's certain physics that tends to make things be similar but there can be lots of differences so yes it's it'd be a different game altogether that's why when you go to different reality frames stuff is similar there but different all right the next question i'm not sure about how the logic of this one runs. Perhaps you can sort it out. I can only imagine that the LCS has run evolutionary experiments to find out if it can initiate the evolution of that which it of that which became itself. If it has discovered a way, if it has discovered a way to create its own initial evolution, would it not then be able to see itself being born, so to speak? 
no, well, so to speak, you know, you said kind of metaphorically, maybe so to speak, but not actually. It would come up with a way, one of the possibilities that this could happen. Again, there's randomness in most everything. So it wouldn't necessarily come up with every possible way that this could happen, but it would come up with one, and then it would, what do we call that in science? That's conjecture. So it would have a reasonable conjecture about how it may have come about. And uh, it wouldn't have certainty unless all the possibilities reduced to just one or two, and then it would say, well, it was either A or B. If it were two or if it was one, then that would be the only way it could have happened, and then it would now. That hardly ever happens. Typically, there's multiple ways that anything can happen. But yes, the systems probably can be aware of roughly how it may have come to be, but it uh, it's limited just as we are. It can only see so far before it can't see any further. All right. Would that also mean that an unending loop exists where the initiated LCS initiates the next LCS? forever, with each additional LCS being a younger but exact copy of the previous one, that would surely be an effective backup system. Is this what you mean by the LCS being a fractal system? Would that be a problem for free will, or could both coexist as a simultaneous paradox? I don't see any paradox there. Um, you can have systems within systems. A virtual reality can spawn another virtual reality within the first virtual reality. I mean, we've already seen that. We are in a virtual reality, and our avatars are creating virtual realities inside this virtual reality. So they can be nested, okay? But all of them are subsets or contained within the larger consciousness system. See, it's all part of the larger consciousness system. Um, so let's, maybe it answers question this way. So if you have a, Let's say we, we make a simulation here. We're, we are a simulation. We have avatars. And these, these avatars of ours with conscious players make a virtual reality. And that virtual reality uh, ends up having an environment where the characters are actually making free will choices. That means the software is fuzzy software. It's not algorithmic. They learn through experience. And they're able to make choices to some extent, some limited uh, decision space anyway. Well, in that case, a individuated unit of consciousness may decide to play one of those characters. Okay, so now from the LCS and IUOC and all these acronyms, I know driving people crazy. From the larger consciousness system, an individuated unit of consciousness may decide to play the choices of one of these simulated beings within our simulation. But still, it's coming from the LCS, the same LCS that plays us, you see? So you can have a simulation and a simulation and a simulation, and you can run that out as far as you like. It wouldn't be infinite loop. No, it's just, you know, how many happen. It'd be finite. It's a finite system. It's going to have a finite number of possibilities there. But it's still the same LCS that's playing all of those characters and all of those Sub, sub, sub simulations. The same LCS. All those sub, sub simulations do is create new avatars that make choices. And if the choices are interesting enough, 
then some IUOC and the LCS may want to play those. But see, all of it is all part of the LCS. Okay, now, could our LCS have be a virtual reality created in something else before it? Yes, it's possible. We don't know. It's conjecture. You know, maybe it's an interesting thing to think about, but there's no way that we are going to be able to answer that without just being speculative. So it's a speculation. And would it have to be an infinite series? No, it doesn't have to be infinite. You know, it's a finite thing. These are all finite systems. So is there, is there one of which our LCS is a spawn of? Perhaps, perhaps not. It doesn't really matter. <clears throat> it isn't important to our growth. So it's kind of an insignificant thing, and it's just going to be conjecture and has no hope of ever being any more than conjecture because we're stuck in this system. So it's, it's theoretically possible that there's some N, finite number of systems within systems, and they're all part of some LCS, but it's all the same one LCS for any set of systems. And when we just call it the LCS, that's our metaphor for the for the for the, the one in the beginning. You got to start with one in the beginning, and all the nested ones are inside of that one. Okay, you start with one in the beginning. So by definition, what I'm calling the LCS is the original. That's my definition of the LCS. So I guess in that sense, our LCS isn't going to be a part of somebody else's. If that was the case, then. I wouldn't be giving it the right name. That other one would be the LCS, but that's part of my name. So uh, it's probably very confusing, but LCS is defined. LCS, uh, IUC, free will awareness unit, all these things are just metaphors. They're metaphors for certain functions. Don't take it literally. Just like I said before, don't take things literally. Take things as metaphors. They're symbols. They, they mean something. They're there for to define a function. In this function, you have to have the source. Well, that's what I call the LCS. Then you have pieces of that source. That's what the IUOCs are. And you have sub-pieces of that source that don't have the intellect attached to them, and that's what the free will awareness units are. And you have these virtual realities that were, were, were uh, evolved by the LCS for us to have experience and to, evolve, to help us evolve more efficiently. So... You know, th those are just metaphors for functions in consciousness. You start thinking about them as actual literal things. Now you start worrying about putting things inside of others. And is there another bigger one that this goes into? Don't think of them in terms of individual things. You're going too far there with a metaphor. They're just metaphorical. So stuffing more things and other things, you're, you're, you're thinking spatially. Okay, here's space, and now I have this thing, and then there's more space. Couldn't that be part of something else? And that's the way we think here. But remember, we're just talking metaphors of functions that need to exist for us to explain ourselves and who and what we are and our science. Um, so that would not be a problem for free will, as consciousness is the fundamental reality? Yeah, it's no problem for free will. Those, it's okay. not that, you see, it's not that the simulation, let's say we make uh, uh, Sims, the Sims, okay? We've got little Sims characters. They're more like us than the, than the elves are. So we've got these Sims characters walking around, and if we give those Sims characters enough software to enable them to choose on their own whether they want to stay home or go out and, you know, to the nightclub, 
and they can make those choices based on their experience and they have some reason for making them like lowering the entropy of their life or something like that. They have some purpose that guides their choices. If all that can be done, that doesn't mean that the Sims character becomes conscious. It means that some consciousness in the LCS can play the Sims character and learn from making its choices. You see, so it's not that we make a Sims character that is conscious any more than, you know, the character I'm playing, Tom Campbell, you know, is conscious. You know, Tom Campbell isn't conscious either. I'm a consciousness playing Tom Campbell. And I make all his choices, you see, but this body's not conscious. This avatar is not conscious. And if I make another simulation inside of the simulation, then they're not conscious any more than I, than my avatar is conscious. No, no avatars are conscious by definition. An avatar is just a computation. So it's not a matter of, well, does our, does the Sims character have free will? The Sims character has the freedom to make choices within a certain decision set. Yes, we define that as free will. It does have the free will to make those decisions. Now, I don't say it has the free will in the sense it's making the choices. The consciousness makes the choices. But it has, it has a, uh, can we say, an environment in which there are choices that are non-algorithmic can be made. I guess it's very confusing the way I use that language. I say it has free will. Well, the consciousness that plays it has the free will. It basically is a calculation that has a decision space that the consciousness can use to make choices. Maybe that's, yeah, I I get to see. Once I I listen to myself saying things, I think, gosh, how confusing that is because the way the words work. You say, well, yes, the Sims character has free will, but that means then they must be conscious. And I'm just saying, well, no, they're not really conscious. It's very confusing. But they have an environment that's non-algorithmic that allows a decision space there. That's created in software. That's the decision space. That's the rule set. Ends up making that decision space possible by the rules. All those rules create things that happen and choices what rules do they create choices so you create those choices now a consciousness with free will can play those choices that were created in that virtual reality within a virtual reality maybe i'm saying it better that way yeah it's hard to say these things i know what i mean but any anybody listening may be very confused with the way i say it so hopefully that'll that'll help Okay, yes. Um, He also goes on to say in another question, when you watch small and simple algorithms evolve, such as cellular automata, sometimes it can look mathematically perfect and symmetric. But we, as we interact in part of our reality, do not all immediately appear to be such mathematically perfect evolutionary products. But would it be nonsensical to say that all of reality is the result of the most perfect mathematics by definition, and that we are just so far down the line that complexity makes it hard to notice. Well, you might say it that way, but um, another way to say it is it's because our environment and our, our rule set is not all algorithmic. There's a lot of probability in it. There's a lot of randomness and probability choices that go on. That's why we don't have an algorithmic life that is patented, you know, down and everything can be calculated. It can't be calculated because we don't know. 
you know, can we take a sperm and an egg and calculate exactly what kind of human's going to come out of that by analyzing the sperm and the egg? No. All we can do is say, well, there's a billion different things that maybe could come out of that. And we have no idea which one of those billions is going to be the one expressed. It's a random process, you see. So sometimes you just, you know, everything isn't, isn't uh, deterministic. I guess that's the, you know, the whole point of this uh, is things aren't deterministic. A cellular automata is deterministic. We aren't. That's the big difference. In all of these, all of these questions, it's that we are not deterministic. He goes on to say, how do you personally notice the LCS changing as you wiggle deeper into the core? Does it become simpler and more, for lack of better words, geometrical, or does it become more complicated? Well, I suspect as you go into anything, any structure, you find it to be simpler as you get deeper into it, right? I mean, that's the whole idea of a fractal. You start out with a thing, and it's just a triangle, that's very simple. And then you put triangles on each face of that triangle. Now it's kind of more complicated. And then you put triangles on each face of those triangles. And now it's even more complicated. And you just keep building up this, this fractal pattern out of triangles. And eventually you have something with, you know, a million triangles all in this picture. And it's an amazing, uh, very complex thing. But if you go down into the center of it or you go down to the simplest and, you know, we're not talking about geometry and space here when you say the center. If you go into the things that are more fundamental about it, then it tends to get simpler. You see the fundamental patterns. You know, you take a a program and running in a computer and you can go down to the ones and zeros. That's the most fundamental level. But when we look at it, it's all sorts of, you know, race cars flying by, you know, with all kinds of color and, and, uh, you know, here you are, the driver, trying to keep it on the track. It gets very complex. But uh, at the base, it's nothing but binaries. Well, how simple is that? It's a choice, A or B, one or zero. It's a simple binary, but it's lots of binaries that make this complex race car game. So eventually, anything you dig into, you're going to find that it gets simpler and simpler at the core. All right, our next question comes from Brian L., and it is about left brain and evidence of the LCS. I've been trying for some time to have an experience that would give some solid evidence of consciousness being fundamental. I would liken it to your experiences in the early days with Bob Monroe when you had your experience with Dennis. You seem to indicate that it had a significant impact on your knowing there was more to reality as opposed to just thinking. I think in one interview you described the experience as the difference between knowing at the intellectual level and knowing at the being level, and that after your experiences with Dennis, you had no doubts. Unfortunately, after a couple of years of trying, I can't say I have any experiences that overwhelm my intellect, despite requests to the LCS to overwhelm my intellect with an experience such as this. I can reach a pulsation state, occasionally during meditation, but when you say things like we all have access to the LCS and it's often easier than we think, I'm not so sure. In attempting to learn why I'm unable to connect, I come across some people who claim that occasionally we all have experience packets 
where our individuated units of consciousness places a no communication restriction on the free will awareness unit. And given I feel I have neither been trying too hard or that I have my ego excessively wrapped up in the experience, this is perhaps the most probable and reasonable explanation I have so far. So I've posted about this on the MBT forum, and the most common response is that I'm too full of fear and ego, so it would be detrimental to my growth. This has been confirmed by some recent comments you've made in interviews that say it would lead people to game the system and ultimately interfere with growth and entropy reduction. So then I started thinking about Bob Monroe and a few others who have had the LCS initiate the contact with experiences they did not appear to request or intend. For instance, I think with Bob Monroe, he was having out-of-body experiences and was trying to figure out what was happening to him. And in my efforts to learn more, I've heard of similar individuals that have just had things happen to them. So I'm at a point where my intellect is saying, why bother trying to meditate and attempt to have an experience with a larger reality when I'm ready, as long as I remain open to the experience, it will just come to me, just as it did with Bob Monroe and others. Is this a defeatist attitude, or is it reasonable? What do you think, given your experience? Okay. Boy, hard to know where to start. So many things there. It's not necessarily true that the problem is ego and fear. That is a block that a lot of people have, and it's probably uh, the dominant block that people have. The second biggest block that people have is their intellect. They want an intellectual experience. They want an experience that that uh, is much like their experience here, only not here. And the intellect... If you stay in the intellectual mode and you want an intellectual experience, you're getting in your own way. You need to have, you need to just let the experience happen rather than lead the experience or expect the experience to be an intellectual one. See, many people who are left brain live in their heads and all their experiences are intellectual ones. And when I say, don't have it don't don't let the intellect bleed with the experience they don't really know what that means or how to how to do that but if you what you've finally gotten to is you're throwing up your arms and saying all right i give up i've been trying this thing and it's just not working for me i'm just gonna let it be and see what happens that's probably the right answer that's probably a good thing to do because what you're doing is you're finally letting your intellect go and not be in charge when your intellect's not in charge and it's just your being level, particularly if you've still got that, that thing in your being level that says, I sure would like to experience something that lets me know this is real, now you'll have a much higher probability of having that experience. So it would be better to have that sense of, of wanting to have an experience in the larger reality that does take it from being intellectual to being at the being level, but to let, but to don't, don't try to have it in the sense that you're trying as an intellectual thing and that blocks it. Just open yourself up to having it. Now, here's another thing that people can do who tend to be very uh, left brain and they can't help but lead with their intellect, which then gets in the way, is that do not be afraid to use your imagination. 
your imagination can be very powerful. And here's how your imagination works as a tool. As you, you know, we talked about the, you know, the, the tall rabbit, you know, and the big flower. Okay. If you just imagine that and you say, oh, that's just out of my imagination. doesn't matter. Go into it. As you go into things in your imagination, you begin to forget about what you're, what you're doing. That's you, you, you kind of forget about the rabbit because that's taking you to someplace else, which takes you to someplace else. And pretty soon you've let go of the physical reality and you've really let go of your intellect trying to, trying to run it, trying to be in charge because all these things are happening. And pretty soon you just end up being there in your out, you know, and you're really out of body in that sense. You're at the being level having experiences. So you can, you can morph an experience that starts with an imagination into an experience that ends up being a being level trip into another reality frame. Because there's no big red light that flashes when one trans, you know, transfers into the other, you won't necessarily know that you've gone through that transition and that now you're something else and you maybe put it all down to imagination. And of course, it might be, but don't feel like you need to judge it. Just be it, do it, have that experience. Let one thing lead to another, go into whatever you have, engage in things. And then after you've been doing that for six months, now you can sit back and be able to judge it with your intellect and say, is this useful? Is this not? And what I experiencing something that gives me a sense of this larger system and if it's not evidential, then probably it won't. You need to do things that are evidential. So when you go off on that, this thing leads to the next thing, make sure you go do things that are evidential. Evidentials like healing, remote viewing, things that you can check later and see whether or not you're having an impact. So that would be what I would suggest that you do. Try to get your intellect out. People will get into that state. They get in a pulsation state and they'll lie there. And now their, their intellect is like on a buzz, you know, like eyes, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. What's going to happen next? Well, when you have that attitude with your intellect, nothing happens next. If you just say, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if it'll lead somewhere else. And you just kind of go with it and you become part of the pulsations, just dissolve into it. Then you'll find yourself someplace else. So it's, it's, you know, in order to, you know, what did I say in my book? In order to do it, you have to not do, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, sounds like one of those uh, Zen cones, you know, one the sound of one hand clapping, right? But it is like that. You have to not do in order to do it. You have to not pursue it. You have to not try real hard. You have to not really have a lot of ego invested in getting it done and experiencing it because all that will block it. So your attitude now where you've thrown up your hands and said, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to just quit and let whatever happens, happens. I'm still going to meditate and I'm going to relax. I'm just going to let my mind go and I'm not going to try to get it through anything. I'm not going to be expecting anything. It's just, just going to sit there and see if there's an experience. But I'll have an intent to see what's in such and such a room, some other place that I can check on. You know, now that'll give you some evidence. So then go do that. And then go check on it and see if you found elements that were in that room. So that's how you get it started. Don't try too hard.
sounds like you, you were just trying too hard. You want this thing to be and you're going to work at it. That's the way this reality works. If you want to get something done, well, put more effort into it. It doesn't work that way when you're trying to get into another reality. The more you work at it, the less likely you're able to get there. Just let it happen. No expectation. Just make it available. Make yourself available to it. Make the intent there that, uh, you know, that you'll something will happen. Don't, def- don't define what. Just, I'm going to have an experience. Meditate. Float. Have an intent to do something. Remote view something. Heal somebody. Have a conversation with someone. You know, that kind of thing. Something you can check on. Talk to your talk to your kids. Tell them how much you love them. You know, whatever. Just you know, do some things that ha- that may have evidence. You do that long enough, you'll start seeing this evidence. Don't expect evidence of the very first thing you do the first time to be conclusive. Evidence over a long time will tend to be conclusive or not. You know, it'll, it'll let you know that you that something out there is real. Or, you know, it won't, but you have to do it for months, not just once or twice. All right. So these experiences are really available to everyone under the right um, attitude, under the right conditions. Occasionally, though, um, a factor could be the mission of the individual level. I mean, we're all at different stages. We're all learning differently. In the case of Bob Monroe, he may have been an an individual that simply this was part of his mission. That's that's true. Um, He did bring he did bring up this thing about some people are locked out, and that's on purpose that they don't have this, and that is probably true. Some people probably are, but I'd say they Mm -hmm. are a a very very small minority. So it's very unlikely that that's his case. That for some reason he's just been locked out of that. Maybe in a past life, maybe in the last life, he got into that so much that he got out of balance. He was just totally into, you know, the non-physical and that took over his whole life. So he kind of forgot about what he was doing here and the choices he was making and the relationships he had. So maybe he'd come in with a block like that so as not to fall into that same pattern. A possibility, but I give it very, very slight probability. It's a very low probability. So possible but unlikely that that's really the problem. Most likely, your intellect is getting in the way. And that you can do this once you just relax, get your expectation, your intellect out of the way, and let things happen as they do. Keep your intent out there and come up with some ideas of how, what, how you're going to collect evidence. Okay. We have a question from Jerval on the glitches of the matrix while waking up. For a few days and weeks when I wake up or even just a few seconds before, I see a grid overlapping with my vision. The size of each cell of this grid is so small that it almost looks like pixels on a computer screen. So I feel like I'm seeing pixels. In a few seconds, when I open my eyes, it goes away, but it doesn't happen every day. Sometimes it even happens twice during the same night. I'm pretty sure it's totally different from phosphines. I'm perfectly aware of what phosphines are like, and it's totally different. I've searched the internet for that, and dozens of people also mention an identical phenomenon. Some people suggest those are just the glitches of the matrix, but I definitely need a more serious explanation. Do you have any idea of what this might be? Well, the word might is 
is important here. I don't know exactly what you're seeing, um, so I don't know exactly what it is, but there's several things it could be. It could be just a metaphor. You may understand that reality is digital, which means it has a, you know, it is in pixels. There is a, a, a smallest uh, quantum of time and a small quantum of distance or volume, if you like, distance in three dimensions. And that's what our reality is made of. Our reality has a, a resolution. And just knowing that, as you wake up, you may see pixels. You may see reality as dots. And it's not that those dots are really the pixels of reality. They're a metaphor for the pixels of reality. We tend to see things in terms of metaphors. So that's a good possibility, that it's a metaphor of the pixel nature of this reality or the digital nature or the fact that this is a, a computed reality. And that's your metaphor for it, the perfectly good metaphor. So I'd give that a, a decent probability that it's something like that. Um, other than that, it's hard to say. You know, it depends. The, you know, when you close your eyes, you can see all kinds of different shapes and things and colors, and then they change. And it depends on, you know, what you were looking at last or, um, you know, you can if you look out through a screen, like on a screen door, you look out through a screen, and then if you close your eyes, you'll find that you, you get little dots of light. That, because that's the way your picture is. So there could be something physiological going on that would create that, but I doubt that. I'd give that a, a low possibility if it happens as you wake up because you've just had your eyes closed and you probably don't have any of those issues going on. But that's a possibility. If you've got something in your room that's kind of you know a checkerboard pattern, then you may tend to see pixels uh, with your eyes shut or a uh, grid pattern. So that could be a possibility. What else? I don't know, but you're not seeing the actual pixels of the reality because, except as a metaphor, because those are much too small. You're not going to see things that are, you know, 10 to the minus 36 meters. You're just not going to see those. All you're going to see is a metaphor of them, like a blown up picture of them, a, you know, zoom in, a zoom in picture of them. Well, a zoom in picture of them is a metaphor for what's in there. Uh, so that's that's what I think it probably is. And other people get it too. It's a pretty widespread idea now that we live in a matrix reality of some sort, that this is a digital uh, reality with, uh, you know, computed, therefore with, with pixels at the, you know, in time and, and space. So just that concept could be pretty common that people would, would see that. Well, yes. Um, he also he says I also saw like a supercomputer. So here's another metaphor for the type of things that are going on as we understand sure. digital reality. Perhaps um, it felt very clearly like what I was seeing was not in my dream or in this physical reality, but somewhere else, mm -hmm. which um, would of course be tapping into the non-physical. Well, to it's, get data. Images see, that it's data that comes. Everything you see is part of a data stream. Data streams come and you get the data and then you interpret the data. Well, you got an idea about, you know, the larger reality and how it works. And there you see a supercomputer and a, you know, and a bunch of pixels. That's a pretty good metaphor. 
for, you know, for that information. So it's just part of your data stream. Why is that in your data stream? Hard to say because that's what you've been thinking about because you have a little intent that, uh, um, you know, that goes back and thinks about the nature of reality because the system would like, uh, you know, to show you that picture. Who knows? Again, we have all these various sources, whether it stems from us or from outside of us, you never know. And in some cases like this, it really doesn't matter. It's the, what do you, what do you make of that? You know, you don't have to, you don't have to really find its source. Is it useful? Is it entertaining? Does it give you a warm feeling that you kind of understand the nature of reality? Does it just uh, make you feel good or not good or, you know, what is it? And if it doesn't really do anything for you one way or another, then it's just stuff, stuff you get. Ignore it. All right. Well, that brings us to the top of the hour and the end of the 34th Fireside Chat. Unless, Vanessa, you have a quick question. We've got a few minutes we could spare. Oh, yes, I do. Um, can you hear me, though? Mm -hmm. I hear you. Okay, perfect. Uh, okay, so let's see what one I want to ask. Oh, um, okay. Here's one. In your book... You say, a fact of life, the implications and consequences of your self-imposed limitations can only be seen and appreciated by someone who does not share them. Someone like you, Tom. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my question is, is there anything you want to tell me about some self-imposed limitations that I may have that I'm blind to? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty... Um... Pretty good that you uh, something that uh, 100,000 people are going to see eventually. You want to talk about your limitations. <laughs> uh, yeah. That shows your, your ego isn't, isn't the biggest problem that you have. That's uh, <laughs> something most people would say, Tom, could we talk uh, privately You know, after this is over? I want to know about my limitations. Uh, that's a good sign, I'd say, a very good sign that you'd want to ask that question. But... Uh, I guess, Vanessa, if I had to just, you know, from how I know you, to say one of the things that, that gets in your way is that yeah. you tend to overthink things. Yeah. You tend to want to, you know, turn everything into something that's rational and reasonable and overthink it rather than just kind of accepting that it is that way, dealing with it as it is, and not really worrying too much about it, trying too hard to be right, trying too hard to understand, trying too hard to be perfect, to be, uh, you know, have all the I's, dots, and T's crossed, and did I make a mistake? You know, just your question. The reason you ask me that question is because you want to do it better. You want to be right. You don't want to make mistakes. You don't want to have the ego. You don't want to have the fear, and you need help to do that. So it's this drive to perfection this drive to get it all right and not make mistakes, this drive to grow up and get rid of the fear and ego and a sense that you haven't really done that yet and it's still a lot of it in there, but you really want to get rid of it and uh, you want all the help you can get to do that. So you're working hard at it and I think that's good. It's really good to have an intent to work hard at it, but don't, don't uh, you know, whip yourself because you're not there yet. It's okay. 
you'll grow up as you grow up as, as time goes on. As long as you have that intent to grow up and learn, then be patient. It'll all come together and it'll happen and uh, you'll do fine. So a little less, a little less picking at yourself and a little less pushy on yourself. You're, you're a lovely person and you need to just kind of enjoy your life and not uh, constantly analyze it for whether you're doing it right or doing it wrong. That'll just drive you crazy. Just live it, feel it, and then see how it works out. Don't agonize over every detail. Now, to some extent, people should think about what they're doing, the choices they're making, and why they're making them, and that's a very good thing to do. But there's a point when you can overdo that, and then you start driving yourself nuts because you're now your intellect's in charge, and your intellect wants to solve all the problems, and that's not where the problem is, is in your intellect. So that's why it's uh, like you're spinning your wheels. So I would say that, and the same thing, you know, I'm telling this to you because probably 80% of the population has the same problem. You know, there'll be a lot of people who will hear this who will say, oh, yeah, I resemble that. You know, that uh, sounds like what I'm trying to do. So just kind of relax, live your life, make your choices the best you can, and then see what happens. Have that attitude, not, oh, I got to make sure this is a good choice. Because now you've got your intellect in charge and you'll just get all wadded up on what the best choice is. Just say, well, I feel it. I meditate on it. I think this is the what I'll do. I'll do it and I'll see what happens. And then see what happens. If it turns out badly, learn from it. Say, oh, how could I approach that better? How is it I could have realized that that was going to turn out badly? You know, what was my fault there? And if you do that, then it will slowly, all of that... Uh, looking at it from arrears will begin to make sense to you. And then you'll get aha moments and everything will get better after that. All right, Tom. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Vanessa. And thanks for this fireside chat today.